and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast for smart women who really love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Recording from my apartment today. Yeah, another different setting. I know. Coming up on today's show, how cocaine marketing is infiltrating Instagram, that Red Table interview with Jordan Woods, and how buy erasure and pop culture overlap. But first, Michelle, how has your week been? <laughs> well, your typo says, but first, Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> I think you can hear how my week was in my voice. I sound very husky and masculine today. Sexy. Like I have the entire week. I've been very, very sick. Very sick. And yesterday I basically kicked you out of my apartment because I was moments away from vomiting. And I turned to you and I said, Zara, you need to go. I was absolutely not complaining because we clearly create our own work days. And I was like, woohoo, getting sent home at 2.30 to go to the beach. You I were, probably could have worked from home after that. You were literally walking down the stairs as I ran to the toilet to go vomit. I don't think anybody needed to know Such that. Such a dark intro to the podcast. Yeah, it's but yeah I, my voice is really, really bad. And I've watched every episode of Younger. I actually watched the first seven episodes of Younger. I did quite like it. I don't find your voice that annoying, though. You've been complaining that it's been annoying, but I don't mind a husky voice. I hate it. Every time I open my mouth, I instinctively shut it again because I cannot hear myself with this voice. I think Mitch has never heard me be so quiet in his entire life. Maybe it's good for you, some self-reflection. He's probably loving it. He can have a conversation with me where I just, like, nod. Yeah. He's loving it. Maybe we should do a poll on Instagram about whether people <laughs> want this voice to stay permanent. I'm like Phoebe from Friends. So was Younger your recommendation? Yeah, Younger's my recommendation. I think it took me a little bit to get into the first couple of episodes, but once I was in, I was fucking in. I did not stop, mm. especially since I've been sick. I went through like three seasons in my first day. Oh my gosh. Especially because they're 21-minute episodes, which I feel like is the best length of episode possible. You just can binge it and then you finish an episode, you're like, may as well start another one. What's another? The 20 minutes in the context of life. Yeah, well, three episodes an hour. I feel like that's great productivity. What about you? Um, my week was okay. Um, it's had worse weeks, had better weeks. <laughs> We've not had much worse weeks than no, this week. No, it's been a funny week. But I think you can tell when maybe my life gets a little more stressful than usual because I suddenly become an exerciser, which is what's <laughs> happened in the last two weeks. So I have, ever since we interviewed Laura Henshaw, and this is not sponsored, by the way, nor does she even know I do her program, but I signed up to keep it cleaner because I was like, I, I don't know how to exercise. Like, I actually don't know how to lift weight. Mm. Would recommend the program. I have been throwing myself into it in the last few weeks. You keep doing little humble brags, like you'll walk it up my stairs of my apartment and you'll be <laughs> like, classic. sorry, I'm just super sore from doing hit last night. <laughs> I can't walk. Um, yeah, I feel like if you haven't exercised in a year, though, and you have in the last two weeks, you can can humble brag as much as you want because I've got a lot of time to make up for. And you've exercised almost every day. It's also not a humble brag when you've spent the entire year working and not exercising. Like that's pretty gross. Yeah. You were a sloth and now you're like an athlete. So maybe I'm becoming a more whole version of myself. <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm going to let that comment pass by. Um, speaking of sloths, not a seg, not a segue at all. <laughs> Let's talk about cocaine. What? Do you think that works? Yeah, sure. That works. Okay. Well, we're talking about cocaine advertising this we week. Are. So I only stumbled across this idea at the very st- in our Facebook group actually it was yeah I hadn't seen it I hadn't heard of it around until people started posting photos of products um, or ads that had come up in their Instagram feeds surrounding how brands are leveraging off you know a millennial spiking cocaine use to sell product which I found very jarring yeah well there were two separate posts that got quite a lot of traction in the Facebook group the first one was from graylines.com.au I think they're like a merchandise and a pop culture store 
they launched their new bath salt range. The product was actually called a big bag full of cocaine that promised to re-energize yourself with the good stuff after a long, hard week. So obviously white salt, cocaine, I'm not going to make more of a connection there for you. It's sold out in an hour. And then the second one is from a really cult label out of the US. It's called Coming Soon New York. It's a home and interior store. And they launched cocaine-themed coffee coasters in that lines of cocaine had been printed onto the not actual cocaine itself, which would be very expensive. But there were obviously like images of lines. Yes. I find this so bizarre that something can be so uh, bad for you and so illegal and yet for brands to want to create some sort of edge to their own brand in order to attract millennials. Like it's kind of like a weird cool dad thing to do when you're trying to be an older person appealing to a millennial. That's the vibe that I'm getting out of this. Well, I feel like there's something about cocaine, rightly or wrongly, that has seen it be detached from the stigma of drugs. Well, that's definitely wrongly, not yeah. rightly. Cocaine feels more frivolous and like people treat it as if it's more clean, and I'm using that in inverted commas, than other party drugs, which is just not true. I found a really interesting point of view when I was researching for this story in The Telegraph UK, which looks at how millennials as a generation are so socially conscious and always thinking about ethical clothes and ethical shopping and everything like that. But when it comes to cocaine, which is the drug of choice amongst millennials, it has one of the deadliest production chains out of any product in the entire world. At some points over the past 30 years, six people have died for every kilo of cocaine produced. Well, what I find most interesting as well to add to that is that not only are we the most socially conscious, but we're also more obsessed with health and wellness than we ever have been before. We live in this Instagram age where wellness is everywhere, clean, green is clean or clean is green is everywhere. And yet people are so willing to abide by those kinds of ideas from Monday to Friday and then let them go on the weekend. Mm. I mean, there's that kind of general hypocrisy there. But these brands, I have to say, aren't pulling this out of nowhere. They're appealing to a market that are unfortunately using it. The latest Bureau of Crime Statistics and Research show incidents of possession or use of cocaine skyrocketed by 45.9% from March 2017 to March 2018. So they're not pulling this out of nowhere. Their research is telling them that this kind of use of drug is uh, increasing and therefore they're going to leverage off that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the cocaine production in South America has been ramped up in recent years simply because there is such an insatiable appetite amongst people our age for cocaine. And I feel like there's something about cocaine that is so glamorized. We see it as the drug of the rich and famous, successful and wealthy. And because of that, we really do remove it from its very bloody roots. Well, we're very good at doing that. Like we're very good at pulling things out of context and being able to use it in a way that sort of blinkers us from the reality of where it came from. I think there's something interesting, as you touched on before, about this millennial work hard, play hard narrative where we can't just be good at our jobs. Now we have to be good at the weekends too. And you can't just be good at the weekends because then you're off the rails. You have to be then good at your job come Monday. And it's like when these brands use this drug in their marketing that it's like a big universal open millennial secret that apparently we're meant to be edgy and smart and high functioning. Well, cocaine is all about status. Someone pulling out a bag of cocaine in a TV show is seen as a status symbol. Like it connotes that you can afford hundreds and hundreds of dollars to do this tiny product of powder. Even 
I feel like meme culture and Pablo Escobar, if mm. you watch the fire documentary, they squeezed into the promotional ads for the fire festival any mention they could of it being Pablo Escobar's island. Well, that was their main selling point, wasn't it? Yeah. That it was Pablo Escobar's island, come and party like Pablo did. I mean, Pablo did some pretty dodgy things in his <laughs> Come time. and murder like Pablo did. Yeah, he killed it, a fuck ton of people. And that's the thing that we choose to remember him by, being like this drug lord rather than this murderer. I do actually think that the prevalence of shows like Narcos and El Chapo the film with Tom Cruise, I think it was called American Made, the arm's length of documentaries on Netflix about uh, drug trade in South America has amplified the prevalence of these kinds of drugs because it's sort of the the drug lords are glamorized, not just the drug itself, but the glamorization of them in pop culture has to have a huge See, impact. See, it's interesting you say that because I feel like I felt one way about Pablo Escobar before I watched Narcos and another way about him when it finished. I don't think I really thought about him being the world's deadliest mass killer before I watched that series. But I think it's more about how um, how much they've infiltrated pop culture. Mm. Like that overlap between drugs drug lords and pop culture can't be understated, right? Absolutely. Yeah, well, to see Pablo Escobar's name become so synonymous with that or even like an entrepreneurial brand it's like infamy but entrepreneurial as well but yeah. not infamy in an evil way it's infamy in like a naughty schoolboy way yeah is it is there any chance we're taking this too seriously what happens if it's uh, do you find it that problematic um look i don't look at something on my feed and think that is that offends me like mm. it doesn't offend me mm. but i don't know i mean if it's particularly healthy for young people to see this stuff as a joke i think the biggest thing that we need to think about is if you are looking at free range eggs and thinking, oh, great, I'm doing some great shopping here. You better look at, if you're doing cocaine, better look at the chain behind that as well, because I would hazard a guess that buying caged eggs is probably kinder to the world than it is to snort cocaine that ends the lives of actual humans. No, I agree with that. And I think the sense that young people have around cocaine is that it's maybe harder to get addicted to or your life is not as much off the rails if you are addicted to it, which I just fundamentally disagree with. And I think that's the perception we need to change. And brands promoting Uh, products on Instagram like they are doesn't help that. And I think that's the small issue that I have. Don't do drugs, kids. Thank you, next bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Zara, you are taking it away this week. What are the five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle that you have for us? Number one, Selma Blair wants to create an accessible fashion line for disabled people after MS diagnosis. That is from Harper's Bazaar. I've got to say, I was really stunned this week when the videos of Selma Blair at the Oscars came out and I saw how much this illness has affected her. I know that she announced that she had MS in October last year, but I feel like maybe it wasn't on my radar because I didn't see it. No, I think that's exactly right. And I think that would be the same for a lot of people in that you kind of don't see how the illness is or the disease is progressing. So you assume it's not Mm. because we don't have insight. And I think perceptions or, I don't know, aesthetics maybe is very deceiving because you look at her and even with her cane on the Oscars red carpet, she looks fine. And I think that's very telling Mm. in that people can look fine and and not be that well. I think it's got to be one of the strongest things. I mean, I, I would hate to sort of project this brave narrative onto somebody else that doesn't want it. But for somebody to be so public about something that is not very mainstream at all and not very easy to talk about and people don't talk about it very often has got to be quite a feat. Yeah, it did remind me a lot. Some of her quotes really reminded me of what Carly Finlay spoke to us about in her In Conversation episode and that she doesn't want to be someone's inspiration. She just wants to live her life. And exactly. one of the things that's really impressive is that she wants to work with designers to make sure that clothes can be made for 
for people with disability and that they can be tailored to make life more comfortable, but also more fashionable. Just because you have an illness or a chronic disability should not mean that you can't dress stylishly. Yeah, absolutely. And number two on my list, Lady Gaga quashes Bradley Cooper romance rumors on Jimmy Kimmel Live. That is from Nine Honey. I don't know if I buy it still. Oh, I, okay. I don't. I'm Talk sorry. No, I'm don't sorry. Be sorry. I really do feel like she might be the best actress in the world. Granted, well, I not quite. Do, didn't get the Oscar. <laughs> one of the best actresses in the world. I do feel like she is in love with Bradley Cooper. I'm sorry. She's broken up with her fiance. Maybe the feelings aren't reciprocated, but I will not stand down. I am putting my hand up and saying, I think Lady Gaga is in love with Bradley Cooper. Okay. That's it. Can I ask you some questions? I just think Hang it. On. If you If you think this, fight for it. <laughs> I just think it. I don't want to be <laughs> defending it. Uh, that is not the point of this podcast. <laughs> okay. Do you think you're projecting in that if you were in a situation where you worked very closely with someone like Bradley Cooper, who is generally hot, clearly pretty talented, clearly got half a brain on him, that it would be hard not to fall in love? And Oh, I'm not blaming her. No, I might I fall in love with him. I'm just saying she's in love with him. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not maybe, denying that it would be tricky not to. Can't, I mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze you. Maybe you can't imagine that being in this scenario that Lady Gaga is in and not falling for that person. No, I just can't imagine being in the scenario that Lady Gaga is in and so openly sharing my adoration for this human being at every possible chance and yet not loving him. Is this the third week in a row that we've discussed this? Absolutely. Maybe we should change the name of the podcast. In (laughs) fairness, we're not the only ones who won't stop talking about this. Literally everybody is. All I want to say is I just think, and this is clearly me projecting onto Lady Gaga, and I don't think Lady Gaga and I are that similar, but I'm going to pretend I don't think Lady Gaga gives a shit about you or what you think. Oh, I never, I don't (laughs) doubt that at all. But I, I think if I was that in love with someone like Bradley Cooper, right, if I was working beside Bradley Cooper and I had just split from my fiance and I was into him, the last thing I would do would be publicly talking about my love for him like I think you would deliberately keep that quiet because you wouldn't want the speculation because the speculation would make you feel awkward Mm. I disagree I think Lady Gaga is in fact in love with Bradley Cooper and I feel sorry for Arena Shake I do I think it's tricky. Did you see the article this week that said Arena Shake had unfollowed Lady Gaga? I know that there is no proof that she ever followed her. You're saying that because you said that. However, I think it is interesting that she doesn't follow her in general, even if she's never followed her before. If that's the woman that your husband is working with and spending the most time with, it's interesting to me that you wouldn't follow her on Instagram. That is all. I don't think End these of people. No, no. <laughs> I don't think these people use Instagram like we use Instagram. Arena Shake does. Arena Shake doesn't use Instagram how we do. She doesn't post photos of Bradley Cooper. I don't think that they use it in a personal way. It's a very professional thing for them. It's not a personal profile for them to use. I mean, there was also another article. I can't believe we're still talking about this. There was also another article that said Bradley Cooper told Arena Shake all about this performance. Yeah, no shit. If you're married to someone, they're going to be across the kinds of things you're doing on stage with somebody else. Mm. I don't People know. keep referring to her as his girlfriend as well. Have we just completely screwed this up for the last three weeks? Maybe you can Google it while we're talking Are about it. Are they married or not? Here we go. A live Googling session. Can I hope you, you guys the, can hear the keyboard. It's actually a new keyboard too. So it's my, <laughs> my laptop is stoked to be getting the publicity. We get it. You got a new MacBook. It's Very nice. Let's drop that name a few okay. times and maybe you'll get one in the next few weeks. Um, how am I meant to work this out? Are they married? What, are they, what she know. referred to in the first few articles? I literally just Googled Arena Shake and Bradley Cooper. Oh, well, that's stupid. Should Have you I, ever used Google in your life? Should I write? I reckon his girlfriend. 
Okay, should I just Google Arena Shake? So maybe I'll do a live um, correction. We've been referring to Arena Shake as Bradley Cooper's wife and she's not. Yeah, no, it's definitely girlfriend. In fairness, they have a child together. That I means could, nothing. I don't know, that's in fairness. between girlfriend and, and wife. Next story. <laughs> that was a segment in and of itself. <laughs> Number three, married at first sight groom Daniel Webb charged over telemarketing scam. That is from now to love. This is wild. Tell me about it. He had to, while they were filming Married at First Sight, which I believe was in about like September last year when he came on the scene, he had to fly back to Queensland every couple of weeks to like in keep with his bail conditions. So what was the actual scam? Because I'm clearly, you, I'm not a Married at First Sight fan. Okay. Well, he was in a syndicate of seven people, allegedly. I'll throw in the word allegedly about a hundred times into this. And he's up on charges of aggravated fraud for scamming $20 million out of innocent people How do you in do Queensland. That? Apparently it was tele, like telecommunication stuff. So cold calling people, getting them to invest in your company. I'm guessing elderly and confused people. That is awful. What's he like Wild. on the show? Uh, he's kind of like considered the hot one that everyone wants to sleep with. So he's he's been portrayed as a goodish guy. Yeah, I think so. They talked about him having a son, and he seems all right on the show. But so he's no villain. No, he's not the villain on the show yet. That's for sure. God, they've got a lot to work with. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if you are a villain on Married at First Sight. How evil do you have to be? Then? Exactly. I'm kidding. I know it's all production. Don't come at me. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. Please stop influencing on our doorsteps. Notting Hill residents tell unapologetic Instagrammers. That is from the Evening Standard. What is this? So if you guys could see my face right now I look very confused so Notting Hill London News is a wash this week because Notting Hill residents are starting to complain that influencers and people are sort of taking hold of their driveways their doors their fences to take Instagram <laughs> photos because it's got to be the most Instagrammable location in London oh my god it's funny though last time I when I went to London earlier this year because my best friend lives there and we went to Notting Hill I did see more than one sign on a doorstep saying please do not take photos what? on here yeah 100% so so what it's all like tourists and stuff thinking that they're going to become Instagram famous if they pose in front of a quaint door but it's not even just posing like people will go into somebody's like front garden and sit on the steps which I find such an invasion of privacy this is like uh Billy Fitzsimons who we used to work with at Mamma Mia wrote a really funny story the other week about an Instagram influencer being in her pool taking photos with like glasses oh. of wine and stuff and it was the highlight of my week reading That's that a good story. story we should put that in our show notes she was posing on a pink flamingo of course <laughs> Imagine looking out your window and just seeing an Instagram influencer. But exactly. Imagine having people always come onto your doorstep and want to take photos. Like that would shit me to tears. At least you'd know that your door's very Instagram. I think I've taken my own Notting Hill photos there. (laughs) Just to come just to come full circle. And number five, Ed Sheeran marries in top secret wedding. That is from news.com. This is to his long-term girlfriend, right? Chelsea? Cherry. Cherry. Oh, Cherry. I don't know if it's I I think it's spelt Cherry. I don't know if the pronunciation is Cherry, but I tell you what, we're gonna roll with it. Cherry Seaborn is her name. He went to school with her. They didn't date straight out of school. They took a few years off. She lived, she moved overseas, I think, to work in a New York accounting firm. I hate myself right now. And then they sort of reacquainted and got back together. She seems quite normal. Can you tell I'm in love with them both? They had a wedding where they didn't invite anyone from the record label, no celebrities. It was literally just 40 to 50 of their closest long-term friends. We love a humble pop star. Don't we ever, especially an Ed Sheeran. Was Taylor Swift invited? No. What? So maybe their friendship is all just for... I don't Publicity. think it's that. I think if you're as famous as Ed Sheeran, you can say to your super famous friends, do you mind? We have a no fame policy. 
this man. I don't want this wedding leaked. I don't want attention on anyone else apart from us. That's fair enough. Could you? I don't know. I'm not famous. I wouldn't know. Aren't you? I love Ed Sheeran. <laughs> so do I. And I bloody love these two. I always have. So I was very happy for them both. Congratulations, Ed and Cherry. <laughs> you know what I love? I love Ed Sheeran. I don't love it when Ed Sheeran raps or tries to rap or tries to be really cool in music videos. Have you seen his music video with Taylor Swift? No, I can't remember what song it's from. Don't ruin the illusion. But he sits there and he tries to like freestyle, like rap and dance. And it's super awkward. I'm not into Ed Sheeran trying to do like the edgy sort of hip hop thing. Like if he could keep to his folk roots that would be great not that I want to put him in a box but I want to put him in a box I'm also not into Ed Sheeran appearing in Chris Brown's music video this just got super serious sorry uh, that was like a recent music video as well last year I not into it I just feel like it was a little misstep on his part and he would be very sorry about it <laughs> if you're listening Ed you're welcome on Shameless In Conversation anytime oh mate I'd steal you from Cherry anyway <laughs> oh my God. that is all for the quick and dirty today on the prowl <laughs> It's a story that just won't go away. On Friday US time, Jordan Wood sat down with Jada Pinkett Smith on her Red Table Facebook video series to talk about the saga that is seizing the entertainment world. Did she actually cheat with Tristan Thompson? And what's the fallout been with the Kardashian family? Mish, because clearly we didn't talk about this enough last week, let's unpack this interview and start from the very top. It's a story that just won't go away, isn't it? It's I know. It's carried on and on and on. It's very similar with the Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper story and that they've both seized the news cycle for two weeks now. Yeah, it's also very similar to any other Kardashian story that ever mm. leaks, which is it's consistent. Like it's never fleeting. It's always sort of spread out over a number of weeks. What did you think of the video? It went for half an hour and it was pretty sensationalized as with most American celebrity things are. But what was your take on it? I had a few initial thoughts. The first thought, I thought it was very interesting the way that it was set up. So for context, for, for those of you who haven't actually watched the Red Table video series, Jada Pinkett Smith sort of sets it up at the start to explain why she is the one doing this interview. And she says it's because Jordan Wood's father was a producer on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, was very close with Will Smith. And the families between the Kardashians, uh, the Smiths and Jordan Woods's family, they're all very close. I thought it was funny that she framed the story as one that had affected all three families, <laughs> as if she just inserted herself into the narrative. Yeah. Um, so that was the first thing that I thought I thought was funny. The second thing I thought was that it was so, so clever. Those first two or three minutes were crucial in the way that it was set up. So Pinkett Smith got, was it her mum? Yes, I think so, yeah. So her mum was sitting there in the kitchen with Jordan Woods before they actually sit down at the red table and then they get Will Smith, who was filming a movie at the time, on FaceTime. And the way they set it up was if this was sort of like – a pseudo family for Jordan Woods that they were kind of like her guardian angels, her her, her prot- tribe, her protectors. Mm. And I thought it set up a really important power dynamic from the very start, which was outlining how much she needed and wanted support and how much she is still, still essentially a child who needs that parental support. And I think without that, the interview would have gone very differently. And I think the the public reaction would have been very different. I agree. I think even taking it one step further, I almost felt like it was a public declaration that 
Jordan is ours. Jordan is yeah. part of our family. We are a powerful family as much as the Kardashians are in the Smiths. And the Kardashians cannot come after her because we will defend her, which I actually really liked because I think the Kardashians are so powerful. And it's really quite daunting to feel like this massive empire of the Kardashians could come against this one 21-year-old girl. So it was comforting to see the Smiths kind of rally behind her. They are also a very likable family in the public stage. Like people generally like the Smiths because they seem like a family that's relatively together and relatively progressive. So I did find that interesting. I mean, from the start, I obviously still have my complete and utter reservations about the story. Mm. But for the sake of this conversation, at least for the start, I'm going to take the story as it is, or as the Kardashians want us to think it is. Or as Jordan Woods wants us exactly. to think it is. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm going to take this at face value to start. Before we do that, though, I want to hear your thoughts on the actual interview. I thought it was okay. I do feel like she might be concealing the depth of what actually happened. I think maybe she skimmed over the surface, called it a peck on the lip, said that she was sitting on the arm of his chair, but it was quite innocent. Things like that. I feel like maybe there was spun in a different way in that interview as to how they actually transpired, which is... Look, I'm not going to blame her. I feel like if I was a 21-year-old girl and I made a mistake and the entire world was lambasting me for it, maybe I would try and dial it down. Maybe I would try and play down my mistake in that public arena. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happened. But I I think when I was watching the Red Table talk in its entirety, I really felt sad that Jordan Woods, as a 21-year-old girl, feels like she has to go and explain herself on this massive platform and have 9 million views in the space of 12 hours, which is what it's currently got. Whereas Tristan Thompson, the man who was actually in this relationship, who actually had a child with Khloe Kardashian, has been nowhere. He doesn't feel like he needs to come out and speak on a public stage. We are slut-shaming, in my opinion, Jordan Woods and portraying her as the villain here ahead of the man who has been cheating on his partner for more than 12 months, including when she was in her third trimester of pregnancy. Yes, I think that's a good point and one that a few people have pointed out on Twitter. It's also not surprising at all, though. I mean, it's unfortunate, but it's the unfortunate reality of the patriarchy, unfortunately. This is what happens when there are cheating scandals and that it's always the woman who is forced to defend herself. A few things that you said just then, though. Um, firstly, 9 million views in 12 hours. I don't think Facebook has ever been so relevant in its life. The fact oh that this God. is a Facebook video series. And this is like a new platform. Facebook Watch is something that they've recently launched and this is bread and butter for them. This is exactly the kind of thing that they needed. The other thing about her probably skimming over the truth. Oh, absolutely. I don't believe a word of what she said, but I don't actually think that's the point. I mean, nobody in this day and age, like it's very unlikely that you just have a peck on the lips and that's it. Mm. Like it just seems so unlikely. It feels way too PG-13 totally. for real world. What was actually going for on seven, that party? For a 7 a.m. in Los Angeles where your driver's waiting out the front and there's like a whole house party worth of people in the Well, house. you could even say just alcohol being involved again. Exactly. Not quite sure that would be the full story. But I don't think that's the point anymore. Like, I actually don't think the truth is the point. Something went down and I think that's kind of the only thing that people need to know in order to sort of move forward with the story. Like, I actually don't think it's helpful for us to go into the nuance or the nitty gritty of what actually went down. I was very confused. I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on this as a more Kardashian fan than I am. I was confused about her inference that Chloe and Tristan weren't actually together at the time of them getting together. She inferred, I think, at the in the first few minutes that... 
he was just the father of her baby and her former partner. Yeah, she called him the ex more yes. than once. And I think that might be true. Based yeah. on a lot of reports, Tristan has been sleeping at his ex-partner before Khloe Kardashian, who he also has a child with, sleeping at her house. There have been many reports that he's been cheating for the last couple of months, that he's been kicked out of home. So for the Kardashians to spin this as what broke the family, in inverted yeah. commas, feels like a ton of bullshit because based on all reports in the last month or so, Tristan and Chloe haven't been living together. They haven't really been together for a long time. I am really frustrated with some of the commentary from Chloe Kardashian in particular. I feel like she's really shrouded herself in a veil of immaturity in this entire thing. Some of her tweets after this Red Table Talk came out said, why are you lying, Jordan Woods? If you're going to try and save yourself by going public, in capitals, instead of calling me privately to apologize first, at least be honest about your story. By the way, you are the reason my family broke up. Sorry. No, she's not. The reason your family broke up is because you are with a man who can't keep it in his pants and who repeatedly humiliates you and betrays you on a public stage. To then pin that to one girl who he either kissed or slept with out of probably hundreds at this stage is fucking bullshit. Khloe Kardashian's in her 30s. She's been playing this fame game for way longer than Jordan Woods has. She should have the maturity to realize that her partner is not a loyal man and he's the reason their family broke up. Why do we always look at men cheating and try and pin it on the woman they're cheating with? Like the woman involved is some seductress that a man simply can't control his urges around. That's not how things work. A few things. Firstly, I found it was interesting your wording just then. The the reason that their family broke up was because Chloe is with a man that oh, cheated. No, 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 I know. The man cheated. I know I agree with you, but I think it is interesting in that there is absolutely a vibe out there that she is somewhat to blame because she's with someone that's cheating. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I agree with the larger your larger statement, which is why are you picking out one person? I mean, she is close to the family, but I think for me, it means that the story makes even less sense to be real if you are only going to pick on this one person, because I would bet that Tristan Thompson would have cheated on Khloe Kardashian with someone equally as famous. Oh my God, So it just feels convenient that the stream of tweets happened after this interview, that it's the only stream of tweets that that Chloe has been very, very public about, or it's been the only instance of cheating that Chloe has been deliberately public about. Like that feels convenient to me. Absolutely. It also feels convenient that this is only the narrative when it suits Chloe and when yeah. it suits her tribe. Like Chloe Kardashian's best friend Malika openly dated a married man and then used that as a narrative arc for a TV show. Chloe Kardashian began dating French from Montana when he was with another woman. Chloe Kardashian started dating Tristan Thompson when he's then partner was pregnant with their first child together. Like I know that there are blurred lines, but you can't live your life a certain way for so long and continually put yourself in the same exact position that Jordan Woods had now put herself in and then turn around and slut shame her. It just feels gross. Well, there were an interesting tweet or two that said you can't hold other people to this to a higher standard than you hold yourself, which I found interesting. But here is a genuine question and I'm not even trying to be harsh or Um, antagonistic about it, but how much can you pick and choose your public outrage? Like how does consistency come into play here when we're talking about who she's picking and choosing to be outraged about when it comes to Tristan Thompson cheating? Like if you didn't slam the women the first time, can you slam them the second, third, fourth, fifth time? Can you slam the woman without slamming the man? I'm just, this whole uh, stream of tweets has troubled me and I've been thinking, am I being unfair on Chloe to assume that she has to be consistent in her public outrage? 
Well, look, she's probably been through a lot, obviously, but she has known what her partner is like for a long time. It doesn't make sense to me that if they are saying that Jordan is this close to the family and she's like a sister to them, Chloe's on one hand saying, oh, I'm not going to speak this way about the father of my child because like people in my life love Tristan. Wouldn't she then apply the same thing to Jordan Woods? Like it just feels really, really sexist. I know it's kind of a long bow to draw, but I'm just so sick of us casting a woman as a slut and never talking about the man. Like Tristan Thompson is absolute piece of trash. And yet nobody's really talking about him this week because all of the headlines have been hinged on Jordan Woods's behavior. And I get it. She fucked up, but she's also 21. And there were so many factors that played into this. And I swear to God, if Chloe Kardashian stays with Tristan Thompson after this, God knows if she will or she won't. Like she has history with doing it with Lamar. I'm just, I'm exhausted. Like I'm really over the Kardashians because I feel like even with uh, Kim Kardashian's videos after this all came out, singing the lyrics to different songs about get your own man, tell like fucking sing a song about the fact that your sister's partner the father of her child has just cheated. Like, isn't that the crux? He's the one in the relationship. Yeah, Jordan, she committed a betrayal, but Tristan's betrayal is far, far worse. I just think so much of our outrage about this or so much of our emotions about this are actually coming from the fact that we are taking this scenario at face value. Of course, Kim is not going to have a conversation with Jordan Woods. She's going to sing a song like that because that makes a better headline. They know this stuff. They've been playing their fame game for so long. I actually can't bite my tongue anymore. Like this story to me is not real. Like it's <laughs> the longer it goes and you're less outraged with me this week about oh. it. But I Well, I'm sick, so I feel like I'm also sitting here I- deliriously tired. I really tried for the first half of this segment to take this at face value, but I just, first and foremost, was very impressed with her um, articulation of the issue and her media training. Like that's come from somewhere and I was very impressed with that. But for me, I find the story and its publicness super jarring still. I just find the fact that this is super public, very jarring. And I know that that is the Kardashian's shtick and that's how they make money. But I just think it's interesting how predictable the public reaction and the public outrage is in this instance to the point where it's almost textbook. We were very quick to ridicule. We were very quick to call her a snake. Then came, and I, when I say her, I mean Jordan Woods. Then we were very quick to make jokes about it and for her to be memefied. And then we've sort of come and done this 180 where we have this outpouring of sympathy for Jordan Woods. And all you have to do is scroll online on Twitter and Facebook to the point where she is now positioned as a victim. And so I think for me, the thing is, Chloe Kardashian will never fall out of favor with the public. She will never fully fall out of favor with the public on a long-term basis because the family is too firm and too close and too powerful. The narrative now has been flipped in such a way that means it will be very easy now that we've got Jordan Woods painted as some kind of victim for them to open up their arms to her again. I don't think we're focusing on Tristan Thompson because he doesn't have a long game in the Kardashians' empire. Like there is no long game with Tristan Thompson. I think there is a long game with Jordan Woods. I think because the sympathy seat is planted, Jordan Woods will be back in the fray in the next year or two. I think she'll be back living with Kylie. I think she'll be back in the orbit in no time. I just think this story arc has made it all very possible. And I don't think it's a surprise that the Pinkett Smiths are the ones in the middle playing mediator. Interesting. See, I actually don't regret any of the memification of Jordan Woods. I think that's funny. That's just pop culture at its absolute pinnacle. What is bad is when people have been sending her death threats and some of the comments on her photos and all of that stuff crosses the line. But when you say, oh, we all recalibrate, it's kind of that pendulum swinging that we've discussed before as well. 
I don't think anything went out of line with the memes. Like I don't regret ever sharing any of those memes. It's funny. Oh, completely. Yeah, but I do... uh, I don't know. Did you see Jeff- Jeffree Star's Snapchat video yes. ranting about this entire thing? I, I really recommend this as well. It's in the Facebook group if you guys aren't in there. Jeffree Star is a massive player in the digital space. He is huge in LA. He has his own makeup line. He's a YouTube artist. He's a singer. And he basically came out and ranted about the whole thing and said that everyone in Calabasas has known about Jordan Woods and Tristan Thompson for two months now and that everyone in the Kardashians is a complete actress and it's all fake. Yes, mm. which, I mean, made me feel a little better for my rant last week. <laughs> Did that feel like a pat on your back? No, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> a little bit. Mildly. But it is to say also that maybe something did go down with Jordan Woods and, and Tristan Thompson. I'm not saying that didn't necessarily happen. I'm just interested in the deliberate fallout and the fact that if it has been going on for months, why has it only come out now? Like, that feels quite particular and deliberate. Isn't it so sad that there are kids caught in the middle of this? Like, oh. actual human babies are involved with these families and thrown into the spotlight with this shit. Like, I know that they'll be rich but fuck that is not a life that I would want no me either I think we kind of knew that they were going to be scarred from the minute they were born (laughs) one thing I did want to finish on and to unpack because I saw a little bit of commentary on our Facebook group about this and I think I'm kind of going against the grain in my opinion but I kind of liked that in the interview Jordan Woods and Jada Pinkett Smith touched on race very very fleetingly and uh, Jordan Woods just mentioned race in a sense that it's very hard being a black woman at the centre of a complete and utter viral storm because a lot of the hate has to do with race. And Jada Pinkett-Smith said, black women can be the most disregarded and disrespected women on earth. The commentary in our Facebook group occasionally touched on why are they playing the, you know, inverted comma race card um, for sympathy. And I think the mistake that a lot of us are making if we're assuming that is that we're assuming that Jordan Woods was using an explanation about race or what it's like to be a black woman in this scenario as an excuse, which I didn't find at all. I did think it was interesting that they brought it into the fray because I think it's important for us to see that a lot of public outrage, if there is a black woman at the centre, probably does have racial elements to it. What did you think about that? I didn't I didn't actually go through any of the hate comments that she got, but if she's saying that there was a racial tinge to them, then I'm not going to call her a liar or say that she's using that to manipulate us or anything like that. So if that's how she feels, I think we should listen to it. But do you think it's – for me, it's not even if there were racial tinges to the commentary. I think it's the very idea that – a black woman is seen like the slut shaming might be on a more heightened level Mm. because of that. Mm. There was a good piece in refinery 29 from Ashley Elise Edwards, who said, I empathize with her because I've been there vilified for a mistake. My blackness automatically making me be seen as an aggressor. So even if the commentary wasn't specifically racist, there is racist or there are racist elements to, to the scope of it. Mm. We'd love to know what you guys thought of this video as well. There are some really interesting threads going on in the Facebook group. So if you're not already in there, jump in and let us know your thoughts. Nobody was actually all that surprised when it was announced that Rami Malek had won the Academy Award for Best Actor. Malek's depiction of Queen's frontman Freddie Mercury was utterly brilliant, but there was one aspect of the film that left some seething. When those close to Freddie Mercury suggest he was bisexual, why did the film depict him as gay? Mish, do you think this points to our culture's issue with bioraja more generally? Absolutely. I feel like it's so human that we want to put people in boxes. It kind of harks back to what we were talking about last week with Karl Lagerfeld, that we want to paint people as black or white. We want to put them in a certain box. And when it comes to bisexuality or pansexuality, 
you can't do that. There is no easy box to put someone into and it really challenges us. And I mean, the reason we want to discuss bi-erasure as a concept is because the backdrop of this in the media and entertainment industry, even in the past year or so, is massive. Yeah. We are so keen all the time to paint bisexual people as either gay or straight based on their current relationship. And I do think it's really damaging because I think it changes the stories of people across history. Even Freddie Mercury, who, who was obviously portrayed in um, the massive blockbuster hit Bohemian Rhapsody recently. There are so many reports out and coverage of that movie depicting him as gay. Even in the movie, he was corrected. The actor, Rami Malek, was corrected when he said, I think I'm bisexual. His fiance then came back to him and said, no, Freddie, you're gay. And that was the only real depiction of his sexuality. And so many people, including film critics, were outraged by that because for his entire life and his family and his friends all say he was bisexual. He wasn't gay. But if you came to me and said, what sexuality was Freddie Mercury? Based on every telling in pop culture, I would have thought Freddie Mercury's gay and that's not the truth. So there was a great piece that I read on The Guardian by Owen Duffy um, from a few years ago, and he wrote, as someone who is bisexual, perhaps most insulting is the accusation propped up by deeply flawed research that bisexuals are simply gay and lack the courage to accept and admit it. And I think pop culture and a film like Bohemian Rhapsody fuels this because you're never shown a relationship that, as, as, that is as fluid as it is in reality. Like, you're never shown that fluidity on screen, ever. And I think pop culture has a lot to answer for regarding regarding how we deal with this in real life. Because if we don't see it on screen, I don't know how we're meant to see it and consider it and accept it as credible and legitimate in real life. Well, we want to pretend that it's a phase. It's almost like we don't want to look at women who are bisexual and dating women as that just being their lifestyle and their choice. We want to go, oh, you went through a phase where you dated women and now you date men. It really reminds me of Lauren on Married at First Sight. She came out after the show aired. There was a specific scene where she said, I used to be a lesbian. And she got a lot of backlash about that from viewers. And after the show, she did an interview on Kyle and Jackie O, my favorite radio program. (laughs) And she said that a producer forced her into that. She didn't want to say, I used to be a lesbian. And the producer said to her, we will not let you get up from this seat. We will not finish filming filming this scene until you say the line, I used to be a lesbian. And imagine trying to sort of explain or get to the nitty gritty of that nuance in that kind of scenario. Like, it's not like you don't feel like you have any power. I don't think you have any power in that scenario. You know, when you started talking to me about this this week, because we've had a few conversations already about it, about how we were going to talk about it and whether we were going to do it. The first example I could think of straight away was Missy Higgins. And I remember when Missy Higgins first sort of burst onto our music scene, you know, 10, 15 years ago, she said and I remember very publicly the first thing she ever says was she's not really straight or something to that effect it was a bit more blurry than that and I went back um, in my research for this segment and did a bit of digging on the reporting around that admission back in 2009 now we're only talking 10 years ago 2009 was not long ago and it was startling and also horrifying to see the news um, the news articles that were around at the time so one of the examples was from 2009 it was from a news corp article the sub heading was straight, gay, or somewhere in between. So we still, they still couldn't get their head around it. And then at the end of an article, as some news outlets do, there's sort of a leading question to sort of spark conversation among their, their readers. And the question was, and this is, I quote, tell us what you think. Is sexuality still an issue? Were people questioning her sexuality purely because she has short hair? Oh my God. 
That's only 10 years ago. Like we're talking from 2009. Now that is clearly uh, an entire media outlet trying to put her in the box, not understanding the fact that her sexuality was clearly and always has been on a spectrum. And it proves to me that in this kind of conversation, we have a very long way to go. That is, if if this is how we were talking about it 10 years ago, then there's no way that we're going to be at a point where we're talking about it productively now. At a local level, this is always troubled me. Well, how's this? We always refer to the New York Times as being one of our favourite publications. And of course, it's one of the most championed publications across the world. But it was only 15 years ago in 2005 that they published an article called Straight gay or lying, bisexuality revisited. And it looked at how, according to this author and according to some study that they pulled out of a publication, that the majority of men who said they're bisexuality are really just covering up that they're gay. It's like we've constantly pushed back on people who want to identify as bisexual and say, I have an attraction to both sexes. And we've tried to lecture them and tell them, no, you don't. You have to pick a side. There was a great TED Talk that I will put in the show notes as well by a young man who's 20, who was 21 at the time, the, the TED talk was from a few years ago by his name is Viet Vu and he now studies in Canada but he is Vietnamese and and grew up in Japan and he spoke a lot about when he came out to his parents and his friends a lot of people were trying to tell him what he was he was either straight or he was gay and people wanted to put a label on it for him and he was living in Canada at the time of this TED talk and he was going to uni in Canada and he quoted research from Steele and Brennan that said in Canada and Canada is an incredibly progressive country um incredibly first world country that said that suicide rates are higher for bisexual men and women than they are for gay and lesbian Canadians really so I mean it's not as if we want to compare or sort of make one thing seem more serious than the other because I think in our society I mean we only voted gay marriage in a couple of years ago and there's still a long way to go but if we're talking about suicide rates and if we're talking about marginalized communities there's a huge hole there where the bisexual community aren't often recognized because they're thrown into the same category as as a lot of other minorities even more generally i do want to talk for a little bit about how queerness is depicted in pop culture and i i feel bad because i didn't notice this until i was watching something with a friend last week and she turned to me we're watching a tv show and she goes mish why is it that gay women are always depicted as less attractive in pop culture and in film and she's right when i when I think about all the bisexual or gay women that we see portrayed in film and TV, they are often given to actresses who are less conventionally attractive as if because of your queerness, you can't be sexual or you can't be desired that for some reason that makes you uglier as a personality trait. Have you noticed that? I mean, I've never actually actively thought about it, but I do think it's a classic case again of us not just wanting to put people in boxes, but put sort of a face to, a kind of identity. We're continually trying to ascribe personalities and traits to sexualities. I don't understand why we ever think it should be entwined. I think pop culture has a massive amount to answer for here. I mean, okay, think about last year when we talked, you spoke about Married at First Sight. What about The Bachelor when Brooke Blurton came out as bisexual and having dated women? Firstly, then she was obviously, for those who weren't across the season or aren't across Australian Bachelor, was in the Honey Badger season most recently. And she came out and there was this massive buildup in all of the teasers, in all of the promos before the show, as if she had something very important to tell Nick and was he going to turn away? And the conversation was that she had dated women in the 
past. And it, it makes me feel like we have no mature sense of handling these kinds of conversations on a public mainstream level. The queer baiting that caught the, the queer baiting, the buildup, the teaser of it being some kind of explosive secret makes me think that actually nobody is mature enough to have these conversations on a pop culture public level. It's just like we constantly have an interest in what people are doing in their bedrooms and I don't understand why it matters. Like, who cares if Brooke is bi? Like, what, you've had sex with women before? Big fucking deal. Yeah. But the more that we make it out to be this massive gotcha moment, and that's what it was on The Bachelor, a gotcha moment. It's like, why? It's very much like you out yourself before we out you, which was on The Bachelor, definitely something that happens. And it's happened in past seasons before, the women saying, you need to tell him this before we tell him this, as if it even matters. The other thing that caught my attention as we were prepping for this podcast is that this is not something that's being covered by particularly mainstream publications. If you do some digging about bioerasure and pop culture and you want to try and read up on how we do kind of erase these identities in pop culture and celebrity, there is nothing around. I mean, it's very much the queer community communicating this message and nobody else picking it up and nobody else listening mm. it's it's just like we want to wipe over people i think it's the reason everyone jumps on buzzfeed and wants to know what kind of cheese they are or what character from the bowl type they are because we constantly want to ascribe a label to everything but i think we really should listen to people who don't want that label of gay or straight or even don't want the label of bisexual because i think it says a lot more about you if you feel uncomfortable about someone else's identity it says something about you and your personality and your open to different lived experiences. I think a big area of learning for me, even in the future, is being more cognizant of these things. So the fact that I never realized that there's only a certain type of woman and body type and look that plays lesbianism and queerness is kind of damning to me. Why had I not seen that before? Why had I always ascribed a personality type to queerness? I don't know, but I do want to really improve in that area going forward. Another piece that I read that was really good this week was by Stephen Dore for Billboard. And he wrote all about how celebrities are pushing this conversation um, by being more open about their own sexuality, whether it's from Halsey or to Janelle Monet. But the thing that he touched on that I thought was very interesting was how songs like Girls by Rita Ora and I Kissed a Girl by Katy Perry still do harm. So his quote was, these songs still do harm to those in the community on a regular basis by equating bisexuality with straight experimentation. And I think that's another layer to this that we haven't touched on in the idea that in some instances in pop culture, in music, in the celebrity world, we have this idea or we portray this idea that it's fleeting, fun and not serious, that it's performative almost, the idea that I kissed a girl and now I'm done. Well, it's fetishized. Yeah, it's exactly. I kissed a girl, but don't worry, boys, it's all for you. Yeah. Like, don't feel threatened. I'm doing this so you feel titillated. It's a complete performance for somebody mm. else. It's either a performance for social media or it is titillating for men, which mm. is just gross. And I think talking about songs like that in that context is very interesting to me because I hadn't, I guess I had never really thought about it. You sing these lyrics, but you don't think about the meaning that they have mm. or that people attach to them. Mm. Hopefully going forward as well, we stop depicting gay people as deviants. Do you think that's still definitely happens? Oh, well, if you looked at... You don't watch Married at First Sight, but anyone who watched Lauren's character in Married at First Sight and watched her interview after she left the show, they tried to depict her as this sex fiend, crazed oh, like addict. rogue? Yeah, it's like, I've had sex with women and I love threesomes and I want to swing and I want to, I don't know, 
That's buy like all these sex toys and like you can't hold me down. Like I'm just wild. I'm crazy, like sex crazed woman. Watch out. See, these kinds of producers have so much to answer for when it comes to the stories that they craft. Yeah, absolutely. It's so frustrating. I, I mean, if people do want to do some reading on this, I did sift through the internet to try and find some good stuff. We will put a, a few links in the Facebook group and in the show notes because there's a little bit around. Like I said, not from mainstream publications, unfortunately. Very much the queer community talking about this, which is so important. But it's also important that everybody else picks it up too yeah and if you're bisexual please come into the facebook group shameless podcast community and tell us do you see bi erasure everywhere how do you feel about it or if we completely projected all of this on you and you want to disagree please do are you annoyed by my voice please come tell us i'm annoyed by it hey i think that's all we've got time for but before you guys go we do want to talk a bit about the don't <laughs> the stupidest thing but also the best thing we've ever done which is uh the shameless doggo so the dog of shameless i fucking hate you michelle for putting me through this this is my job now this is what i went to university for okay let's get through this very quickly we are having a shameless dog competition as we have teased already what we are going to do is we're not going to create any new threads because there's a couple of threads that already have 100 comments on them or more. 500 comments. Which which thread are we telling them to post the photo of the dog? I think the original thread. What I'll do is I'll pin it to the top of our group. A wonderful listener kicked this all off really and said, post photos of your dogs and you guys just run with it. We're going to pin that post, which was from probably 10 days ago now, to the top of the group. If you want to be in the running for your dog to be crowned the mascot of Shameless, you have to post a photo of your dog. I will then be the one going through the 600 and something photos of dogs to pick my shortlist, probably five to 10, who knows, probably 10 once Mm -hmm. I start looking. I will pass the shortlist to Zara. We're going to record it. It'll be some type of video somewhere and Zara is going to crown the shameless doggo. Given you hate dogs, I think we can only put this into your hands. Hate is too strong of a word. I am, as I said in the newsletter column this week, simply dog adjacent. (laughs) I am not here nor there about the animal. I do, I'm a huge personality fan. Like I'm a fan of personality. So if the dog has a personality, give me its best traits, write it a bio, do not make it more than 20 words. If you think we have time for this, we do. We have nothing else going on. We should also talk for a sec about the prizes because there are definitely prizes involved. You are going to get a hand-painted portrait of your dog. (laughs) A little jumper. (laughs) A jumper, like a fur coat for your dog. And you're going to get a embroidered shirt slash jumper for you about your dog with a slogan of your choice. So we were in the car this week just to, to roll this podcast on and keep it really long. And Michelle was on fucking business calls with the people providing these things. And it was like it was a real business conversation. So the variables with the competition, like, I actually can't believe this is real. We do want to give a massive shout out to the people who have very kindly donated their uh, artwork, their time, their money. We'll put all of that on social media. Um, when it's all announced and we'll make sure that there are some great photos of this silly little mascot yeah, when, let's, when it's been crowned. Let's make the deadline for this. You have to get your dog photo on the thread in the Facebook group by Tuesday, 11.59pm. Are you up at 12? <laughs> and we are picking the dog on Friday. Okay. So I don't know what the date will be, but okay. this week. Yeah, this Friday. <laughs> okay, by this Friday I will have... A shameless mascot. And we will try and incorporate this shameless doggo into every piece of work that we do for the rest of the year. Okay, we done? I want to meet the dog. I'll fly to the dog. We're flying internationally if it 
requires that. Okay, we're we're probably not doing that. Michelle's exaggerating. <laughs> You'll find us in the podcast group at Facebook group, I should say, Shameless Podcast Community, or on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We really need to turn these mics off before you keep talking about dogs. Or before my voice runs out entirely. I'm so sorry for my voice again, guys. <laughs> please, please don't complain to me about it. Thank you so much, guys. Bye. <laughs> Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo! We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now. Every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time <laughs> to be in your ear holes. So essentially, <laughs> each episode, we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in mm-hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.